And now, from a secret lair, 20,000 leagues under the sea, it is now time for another podcast with Jazz Stretto and co-hosts, Planetary Ashes, Ventus the Time Lord, and Aaron Bob Gaming, CJB. Grab the popcorn, the show is about to begin. Hello ladies and gentlemen, Jazz Stratto here and welcome back to another podcast on the Jazz Stratto Podcast channel. Uh, sorry I haven't been doing this in a while guys, I've been busy doing other things. But it is now time for another podcast. This week we have of course the Devil May Cry review, Occupation, Dead or Alive, we talk about some cool, uh, excuse me, we talk about some cool tech uh, of course, we have our excuse me, movie reviews. One of them is Captain Marvel, so we'll see. Talk about that a little bit later. And we got a few entertainment news. So as always, guys, let's start this thing off as always with our first category, which is of course game reviews. And our first game up for review today is the Devil Devil May Cry Five. The finest version of DMC Combat brings. This person to tears of joy. Interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me there. The first Devil May Cry sparked my love for action games in general, but as the series has gone, excuse me, has gone on, it keeps that pla- place in my heart because they aren't just about killing every enemy in the room. They're about how you killed every enemy in the room, expressing yourself in an almost artistic in a highly technical dance of swords, guns, and lots of jump cancels. Devil May Cry 5 is the new pinnacle of this particular subset of the genre, thanks to a perfectly placed campaign that mixes in three completely different playstyles, each of which containing enough depth to carry a game on their own, fun and satisfying story, and quite, a, and quite simply, as one of the best combat systems you'll find in video games. Devil, Cry, Devil May Cry 5's story is somewhat unconventional in that it starts with events that would normally feel like the climax. You're thrown right into a fight you're meant to lose after Dante stays behind to let Nero and a new character named V escape from the superpowered demon king named Urizen. The story jumps around from around a time period of a couple of months, rotating through perspectives as it tells the present day story of Dante, Nero and V, while also explaining the circumstances that led to Urizen's rise to power and V's quest to take him down. Hmm. Now let's have a quick look at the review here, where is it? Ah, there it is. The, uh, the verdict. The question of which Devil May Cry game is the best has gotten much easier with Devil, Cry, Devil May Cry 5. The combat is the strongest <coughs> of the series in ha- a lot of the series has seen to date. The story does a great job of balancing all three of its main characters and doling out rewarding bits of mysterious story at an enticing pace and unlockable difficulties, sheer number of techniques to earn, an upcoming free bloody palace DLC will provide a ton of incentive to repl- for replayability, sorry. It's good to have you back, Dante and Nero. 
Now, Devil May Cry was released on Mar- um, today, which is March 8th, but that recording for PS4, PC, Xbox One. IGN rated it 9.5 out of 10. They thought it was amazing. Devil, Cry- Devil May Cry 5's trio of outstanding combat styles set a new high bar for the series, and its mysterious story keeps things interesting along the way. Mm, wonder what that could mean. <laughs> Alright, and on to the next game. The Occupation. Now this is one I actually have not even really heard of before, but I saw it and it looked interesting, so let's <clears throat> have a quick look. Uh, Most first person sh- game shoot FPS games or FPGs, sorry, that open with an act of terrorism are immediately followed by hours of machine gun based retribution. But the occupation takes a refreshing, a fr- lot refreshing different approach. Rather than drop you in the combat boots of one, a one an army, instead puts you in the well-worn shoes of an, of an investigative journalist and forces you to examine your surroundings with an analytical eye, as opposed to set of iron sights. Sadly, what could have amounted to a novel and absorbing stealth investigation experience is directly ruined by numerous rough edges like the subjects of its in-game interrogations. The occupation's sh- shaky facade for is all too frequently exposed. Hmm. What makes occupation unique is the most is most of its level levels are set a excuse me are set against a real-time clock where there are a couple of smaller flashback levels that aren't timed. The main chapter see we see Miller, which I believe is the main character, arrive at a facility for an hour an hour before his scheduled interview time, allowing him to wander into staff only areas and eavesdrop on conversations in an effort to develop multiple lines of questioning and gathering evidence for the allotted interview. All while the time on his digital 80s era wristwatch continues to march on. Ooh. <clears throat> well, let's have a look at the review. Very first. There are some irony in the fact that in the, its effort to design a game to be played against a ticking clock, the developer of the occupation has seemingly ran out of time. There is. Excuse me for just a sec. <laughs> I've had a very dry throat. <laughs> there, there's a compelling nar- narrative here and some wonderful performances from the voice cast, but an experience that had the potential to put me on the edge of my seats more often than not made me want to start throwing chairs. <laughs> Through post-release patching, the occupation may yet be resurrected as a very good stealth investigation experience, but at launch, this innovative game <clears throat> about making the most of time it is itself an opportunity missed. The hmm. uh, IGN rated 5.9 out of 10. Uh, they rated mediocre. The Occupation is an investigation game that tries to make every second count, but is ultimately a missed opportunity. It was released on March 5 for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Now, I haven't actually played this game, but. 
from what I can tell, it does look like an interesting game to play. So if I get the chance, I might grab it one day. <laughs> and give it a good shot. Alright, next bit of news. <clears throat> Excuse me, this one's for all the Assassin's Creed fans out there. The Assassin's Creed Odyssey DLC, the legacy, legacy of the First Blade Bloodline, has been released. <clears throat> oh, okay, it's the third and final episode of the Assassin's Creed Odyssey Legacy, the First Blade DLC. Bloodline is a satisfying conclusion to the self-contained machinations that were set in motion back in December of last year, while most of the episodes quests are here to a formula laid out in episode 1 which I didn't talk about but bloodline breaks with the drip fed story delivery pace is full of the first two episodes and finally opens up the floodgates for Cassandra and Alexos which are the assassins I believe excuse me wrath to crash down on the remnants of the order of the ancient Cleanly extinguishing what smoldering plot lines remained with the help excuse me, of an overline of a borderline overpowered new combat ability. With Bloodline's culmination, we're definitely giving given answers to not only the questions it raised, but Odyssey's place in the greater Assassin's Creed lore as well. Uh, Bloodline kicks off immediately from the events of Episode 2, Shadow Heritage, in which Cassandra and, uh, and Alexis have turned their attention toward a quieter, simple life with plenty of personal ties and loved ones to protect. But, like evil clockwork, the Order of the Ancient strikes back directly at the heart of that life, awakening the unbridled rage of her protagonists as they go on the warpath. Ooh. It's quite interesting. <clears throat> Assassin's Creed Odyssey Legacy of the First Blade Bloodline delivers a heartfelt storm of emotional payoff and great punction mark on the three-part story. Though the gameplay continues the formula laid out in the previous episodes, the new combat skill is fun, useful and useful addition. But the answers Bloodline delivers a satisfying send-off for the many characters introduced and the order of the ancient itself all while cl uh, clarifying clarifying an assassin's creed odyssey's place in the overall lore more clearly than ever before ign did think this was a good move they rated it 8 out of 10 they thought it was great the assassin's creed odyssey legacy of the first blade grave finale cleanly ties up the story it started with answers and great moments for everyone involved Whew, that was a tongue, that was a bit of a read. <laughs> this uh, game was released on March 4 for PS4, PC, and Xbox One. They seem to release a lot of them lately. Alright, the last game up for review for this podcast Dead or Alive 6. After more than 20 years, 5 mainline games and plenty of special editions and spin offs, the Dead or Alive series of fighting games is very much known much a known quantity woman and some men is suggestive in suggestive costumes beat each other up and down in this fast-paced 3d fighter built on the basic but sound tactical framework dead or alive 6 does not deviate from that top level formula at all but manages to spice things up 
There's some interesting changes spread throughout the gameplay and modes. It's polished, it's fun, and it's keeping the series alive and active without rocking the boat too much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Viewing through the lens, Dead or Alive 6 definitely blends flesh, fresh and familiar to appease long-standing fans while offering an intense, in, intense, interesting array of single-player modes that serve as an on-ramp to competitive play online. Its single-player modes are predisposed to training you up past what you will learn by simply fighting AI opponents. Its storytelling, while not as expensive or novel as Mortal Kombat or Injustice, gives its gives gives its roster an essential sense of character. From determined tournament fights and training to lovable foolish drunken masters and melodramatic ninja warriors and assassins. Every contest has a strong vibe and it's itching to fight, which makes it easy and fun to hop in and wail somebody. Mm. Uh, the fundamental ideas behind Dead Lives fighting remain largely but not wholly untouched within Dead or Alive 6. Rock, paper, scissors style, triangle, parry system where strikes beat throws, throws beat holds, active blocks that turn momentum, and hold beat strikes remains in play. Holds which involve pre uh, predicting your enemy's attack and hitting one or four counters just in time makes it make it very important to mix up your attacks and keep your opponent guessing. Like in past Dead or Alive games and Tekken, you will be able to sidestep attacks in addition to crouching and retreating, which gives fights that 3D feel. Ooh. Very interesting. The graphics don't look too bad either. Yeah. Of course there are DLCs and microtransactions to this game, but with most games nowadays you have to. It does have multiplayer. Uh, no, it doesn't actually. Not yet, anyway, so we'll continue on with that later. <clears throat> the verdict. Dead or Alive 6 makes a strong case for the franchise's fundamental combat by making it easier to understand what sets it apart from other fighters. Other than its infamous jiggle physics, whatever the hell that means, the story campaign is disjointed, but it and the other training modes serve as an effective instruction for getting new players up to speed for online combat quickly. And the new break hold and break blow moves give you a way out of even when you seem locked into an endless juggle of doom. It really needs to work on its online multiplayer options, though since they are currently skimpier than LA Mar Mariposa's outfit. Dara Alive 6 was released March 1 for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. IGN rated it 7 out of 7.7 7 out of 10. They thought it was good. DOA 6 uh, proves there is plenty of depth to this fighter beneath its skimpy outfits, but its strong story mode is disjointed and its multiplayer features are currently bare. Which that would mean they would need to work on that for future. Upgrades or DLC. <clears throat> Alright, guys, that ends game reviews. Now it's on to game 
news. And our first bit of news for today is that the Razor Blade Stealth has finally been released and here is the first reviews. The Razor Blade Stealth is not to be confused with the Blade Proper, it is the company's ultra-thin portable offering that sits alongside the Surface Laptop and MacBook, more so than it does straight-up gaming laptops. In addition to a new visual look, this year's model also sports a graphics option that comes equipped with an NVIDIA MX150. And this is, which is the revision we took when they, when Ozgamers took it for a spin. Okay, so with the first ever discrete graphics chip seen in a stealth, a big question is how performance stacks when playing games. A rated 25 watt, the MX150 might be based on a Pascal hardware, like say the GeForce 1060 or 1050, but the mobile version is clearly aimed at entry level performance. In our own testing playing games older than say 4 years ago, it has no issues maintaining a steady frame rate, in fact, and in fact can turn impressive, turn impressive performance, excuse me there. Lesser intensive and more modern titles work fine too, like Fortnite and Dota 2 and League of Legends at decent quality settings. Overwatch 2 runs smooth with 60 FPS easily maintained. Hmm. So what do you guys think about that? Let me know down in the comments what you think this gaming laptop would actually do or how it would do if you were to play it. Hmm. Alright, let's keep going on to the next bit of news here. <coughs> Excuse me. Warhammer Let's see if I can pronounce this bit correctly. Vermine Tide 2 Winds of Magic has just been announced. Has been announced a couple of days ago, sorry. Warhammer Vermine 2 is without a doubt the best Left 4 Dead style co-op first person action game since well, Left 4 Dead. <laughs> Although featuring the same template of narrative levels, bosses and randomized enemies the fantasy Warhammer setting paves the way for a different style of action, plus it looks great and the combat mechanics are all solid. Over the weekend, developer Fat Shark has announced a new expansion, Winds of Magic, that will introduce new locations, the Wind City of Helm Helmgard, plus a new enemy faction, the Beastmen, which aims to provide a new challenge for players. Also, a new game mode called Winds of Magic is coming where a total of 8 winds will confront the players in new and surprising ways. Although mysterious in its description, it sounds like a horde, oh, a horde mode of sorts. Ooh, interesting. Uh, this is the next chapter in the Vermite 2 saga, says Martin Walhan, CEO of Fat Shark. New enemies bring new challenges for the players, and we know that our amazing community is ready to fend them off. Warhammer 2 is ver Vermi ver Vermintide, sorry, is currently available for PC, PS4, Xbox One. The expansion is due for release later this year. Let's give a little bit of hype for those people out there who do play. Warhammer. I used to play it actually as the little models. I used to make them and play them. I've still got them somewhere. <laughs> I might get them out and have a go someday soon. Anyway, let's keep moving on. 
Yes, now this next bit of news is a bit embarrassing. Not for myself, but for the company that's about. Uh, everyone knows about Forza and Forza Horizon, but just happening a couple of days ago, the Forza mobile game has been accidentally leaked alongside reports of no new major Forza game this year. <laughs> oh, good grief. Uh, by now we've gotten used to the annual Forza release. Candice. Where one where one uses for the most sports and uses for the horizon. Yeah, blah. Well as part of its recent live stream turn team creative director Chris Isaki noted that the team was still committed to the Forza's Motorsport 7, which adds credence to the rumors that of there not being a major Forza game or Forza 8 this year. With the launch of Microsoft's next Xbox also rumored to be late 2020 then it makes sense that Forza Motorsport 8 would be positioned as a launch title. One that would no doubt be a showcase for the system's hardware which plays into Chris's comments relating to having more time and freedom than before. In other Forza news, a misplaced link in a recent community update led to a broken page with the following text found by a reader related to something called Forza Street. Uh, developed in partnership with UK-based studio Electric Square, Forza Street is built from the ground up to support a wide range of Windows 10, iOS and Android devices. Which as per the description would be a mobile title developed in additional UK studio joining Turn 10 as a series as series leads and playground games as the creators of the Forza Horizon or Forza Horizon, sorry. According to racing aficionados, GTP Planet, this could simply be a rebranding of developer Electronic Square's Miami Street Racing game, which features which features licensed cars. Hmm. Interesting. Be interesting to see what actually comes out of that. Wait. <laughs> Alright, next bit of news. Apex Legend has hit its 50 millionth that's right, I said million player to, uh, in, within its first month, which I think is freaking amazing. A lot of people must love playing it. Respawn CEO Vince Zampella re uh, tweeted out a nice little thank you to Apex Legend players last night, casually dropping a huge news that free-to-play Battle Royale games set in the Titanfall universe has hit 50 million players, which at this point probably means that Titanfall is set in the Apex Legends universe. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I can see the tweet right now. Thank you to the 50 million players that have shown up in the first month since Apex Legends launched. You have all made this something special and there's, something, and there's much more to come. Hmm. In a direct comparison to Fortnite that took four months to reach 45 million players, to recap the meteoric rise of Apex Legends. The game hit 1 million players in its first 8 hours of going live. 10 million in 3 days, 25 in a week, and now 50 in a month. That's freaking great. Although this number doesn't reveal uh, concurrent player counts, we have to assume that those numbers are high too. Just taking a look at our friends list over the past weekend and sure enough Apex Legends pops up everywhere. This is great news for Respawn, who has failed to find magic success with uh, the first two Titanfall games. 
And with Apex Legends still very much on its launch phase, there has only been a single gun added. The arrival of the Battle Pass and Seasons and other events should make for an exciting few months. Mmm, this is getting interesting. I'll keep my eye on that. <sighs> and our last bit of news for this podcast is the Kingdom Hearts. The story so far brings the entire collection to PS4 this month. Hmm. Excuse me for the second there. As someone who's only aware of Kingdom Hearts series, which blends Square Enix style action RPG storytelling with the world of Disney, the fascinating part of it all is that unless you've played it, well, it seems incomprehensible. Case in point, the new Kingdom Hearts The Story So Far collection coming to PS4 March 29 in Australia, which really seems to stretch the concept of the game and sequel. I mean, look at the entries of stuff included. There's a lot of stuff here. Apparently, playing and watching all of that will help you catch up the story leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3, which is out now. Hmm. That should be quite interesting, especially for my friend Ventus the Time Lord. Anyway, guys, that ends... Um... Game review... Uh, not reviews, game news. Now it's on time for movie reviews. And the first movie we are reviewing is, of course, Captain Marvel. Now, I haven't actually seen this just yet, although I'm definitely going to be doing that. So, uh, let's get stuck straight into it. Carol Denvers becomes one of the universe's most powerful humans when Earth is caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. We know one of them, the Skrulls. I don't know who the other one is yet. Maybe her people. I think so. But um, so far it's getting good reviews, it's 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, I'm not sure what Rotten Tomatoes is, but I'll f try and find it if I can, I'm just looking down here, but um, yeah, apparently it's it's got 4 wins from uh, the awards season. Um, what do you think, interesting? No. Okay. Um, as I said, I have not seen this just yet. I will be doing a review once I actually see it. Just like I just recently did my latest Bumblebee movie, which is the last one I actually went to see. So anyway guys, we'll keep on moving to the last movie in our section. We've only got two for this podcast, but I'll try and find some more later. Next one up for review is of course Alita Battle Angel. Another one I still have to wait to see. <laughs> But I'll get there, guys. A deactive uh, basically follows the story of a deactivated female cyborg who is revived but cannot remember anything of her past life, and goes on a quest to find out who she is. She's also met with some very bad people and fights for her survival. That's from what I get anyway from watching all the trailers and whatnot. And that so far it's got 7.6 out of 10, at 65,000 reviews. So. It seems to be pretty good so far. Uh, let's see, any reviews down here? I think I saw one then. Yeah, well, so far from what I'm reading here, there's all reviews have been very, very good about it. Uh, what else can I tell you about? So, Alita is a creation from an age of despair, found by a mysterious Dr. Ido while 
trolling for cyborg parks. Alita becomes a lethal and dangerous being. She cannot remember who she is or where she came from. But to Dr. Edo, the truth is all too clear. She is the one being who can break the cycle of death and destruction left behind from Tafiras. Whatever that is. I'll find out later. But uh, to accomplish her true purpose, she must fight and kill. And that is where Alita's true significance comes to bear. She is an angel from heaven. She is the angel of death. Ooh. I still want to see that. Um, Alright guys, that's, this is going to be a somewhat short podcast, but I'll try and keep things interesting for you. <laughs> Alright, that ends, as usual, movie reviews. Time on for a new section, which I've rebranded, Entertainment News. Because we're not just going to be looking at just movies, we're looking at all sorts of stuff in this section now. The first one, of course, is it appears that Captain Marvel has beaten and broken the Batman vs Superman box office record. Uh, heading to the first preview night showings, Captain Marvel is already helping Marvel Studios shatter the record set by its DC Warner Brothers competitor. Captain Marvel is being shown in 4,310 theatres on opening weekend in the US, beating the record of 4,242 theatre openings set by Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice of 2016. To be fair, it's a nice little record for the studio trying to push for maximum exposure for a film's launch. It's also a great way f- to start a flame war to yeah, start a flame war in the DC art and Marvel camps. After all, Batman vs Superman's massively big opening weekend push certainly generated some impressive upfront numbers of 166 million opening weekend, but the film also provoked some infamously f- bad word of mouth which resulted in some literary historic drop-offs in business including a worst Friday to Sunday decline <coughs> excuse me since Fantastic Four reboot Ugh, I don't want to talk about that <laughs> as well as one of the worst Friday to Friday declines 81% and overall second week declines needless to say Marvel Studios wants no parts of a shameful legacy. So far, Captain Marvel has been shaping up to be one of the hardest MCU to call in terms of performance. The film is already gearing up for a massive international opening while also selling the most pre-sale tickets ever since Infinity War, which I did love. And yet, with all the positive indicators of yet another breakout MCU success story, Captain Marvel has also stirred a lot of controversy as self-proclaimed anti-SWJ fans, aka trolls, have review-bombed the film on aggregate sites in an attempt to lower mainstream viewer interest. If that wasn't enough, star Brie Lawson has been attacked on multiple fronts, be it over her performance seen in full or not, her outspoken progressive views about the industry, or the eye-rolling stereotype that she doesn't smile enough. Hmm... Yes, another movie to go see. Uh, what's far? Oh, okay. This is something you just just spotted. Apparently, this is of course in America, but Avengers: Endgame is released on April the twenty-sixth, U.S. and Spider-Man: Far From Home. I just seen here is released June, July. So not June, July five, U.S. Anyway, guys, we'll keep moving on here. The movie The Kid director Vincent 
Onofrio talks Western's coming of age tales and is directing and directing his daughter. <laughs> I know that sounds a bit wrong, but from Wilson Frisk Daredevil to Detective Robert Green, Goran, so Lord Order CI, or Edgar the Bug, Man in Black. After Vincent Onofrio, the Onofrio, sorry, has shown incredible range over the span of his career. Coming this weekend, the actor will put on his director's cap for his first large movie, The Kid. Starring the likes of Chris Pratt, Guns of Galaxy, which he also worked on in um, The Magnificent Seven, and Ethan Hawke. The uh, Kid follows an age-old tale of Billy the Kid and Pat Garren as they play a game of cat and mouse all over the budding American Southwest. Intertwined with the classic semi-biographical tale, an intriguing news story featuring the Cutler family as Rio and Sarah go on the run from their abusive uncle Grant Pratt. Grant. I don't know why I said that other word. It marks Denofrio's first major feature release after making his official debut with the indie thriller Don't Go in the Woods some nine years ago. Distributed through Lionsgate Entertainment, the kid is set to be released in over 250, 250 theatres across the country beginning this weekend. Whew! There's a lot of stuff to read here and I'm not going to bore you guys with me just sitting here reading it, but I did view the trailer. It does look interesting. I may go see it, I may not, but at the moment I do not know. Anyway guys, let's keep this thing rolling. Last bit of news. The Witcher Netflix series showrunner shares a beautiful photo of the new filming location. And it is a beautiful location. The showrunner of Netflix's upcoming TV adaptation of The Witcher, Lauren Hisrich, recently shared a photo from the show's current filming location that looks straight out to a fantasy novel. The Witcher is currently still in the shooting process, which has taken its production team all over Europe to several beautiful locations that ooze medieval fantasy vibes. And rather than keep all the views to herself and her team, the aforementioned Hisrich recently shared a photo that seems to have been captured during filming in the Canary Islands off the coast of mainland Spain. Mm. Now it's unclear if the photo is of a scene that will be seen during the TV show or just a random capture of a beautiful view where Netflix is filming. It is normal to scout locations for best scenes but we know that Rich and her team were already doing that in the Canary Islands weeks ago. So you assume this wouldn't be that. Whatever the case, it's a beautiful shot and probably pretty indicative of the sum of the some of the scenery we'll see in the TV show's first seasons, which fans are very happy about. Alright guys, that actually ends my first podcast I've done in ages. Hmm, very very good. <laughs> I know the others have, are not here to, on this podcast, but I will try and get them on the next one if I can. But anyway guys, thank you very 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 much for listening. Um, I said I will try and keep things weekly if I can, but I will see. Depends on how busy I get. Um, links are down in the description as usual. And again, thank you very much for everyone for listening. And I will see you next time. This is Jasrata saying, see you later on Jasrata. Let's play.